Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. And this is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 248 on our network. You see my guitar lessons are coming in handy. I was a little thunderstruck by Dave on in my garage band. And, uh, I would have thought for sure that was ACDC. But yeah, it's close. close. They're not – well, you could tell a little bit. It's, it's not quite uh, – I'm, uh, I'm working on some things. A little drum in the background. I'll give credit to Blue. But uh, – yeah, sometimes good to get it out of my system. A little ACDC gets the gets the uh, aggression out of me sometimes. So, oh, so Sal, welcome back to your show. We got forty thousand plus subscribers, seventy three countries now supporting us. Grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. Big meeting with our store, which will be opening up hopefully next week, um, with all sorts of uh, items, hats, shirts, mugs. I guess I have to check it out today. So. And then um, our affiliates hopefully will be up by next week. We're trying to push that to start next week with 200 plus affiliates that all support our listeners, uh, but will also reciprocally support our hosts like Sal. So thanks for your support, guys. We'll keep bringing you great content like we're going to do here today. What do you got for us today, Sal? Well, I want to hit a bunch of things that I want to start off with one of the things we spoke about uh, last week that's going to tie in with my couple of posts I or one of my posts I put up which was my uh, kind of break breaking the ice getting back in after my month off on Instagram and I encourage everybody to go to uh, coach Sal's playmakers on Instagram I, I use that as my kind of de facto website where you can see pretty much everything I do and I do a brief commentary usually at least once a week when I get myself going about something that I either get in my feed or that we see in the mainstream, whether it's TV, whether it's during a sports broadcast, whether it's stuff I get in my feed, just my news feed that deals with the health and fitness and the broad range of things, Dave, that we touch on. My first commentary this week, which I did, which is after a month off, is actually about that. It's about taking time off from your workout. And there's a bunch of different things we have that are different today that were conditions we're dealing with that are different from even 20 years ago. But let's talk about in general, people like you and me, the weekend warrior, the gym rat, the person who loves the gym. You need to take time off, Dave, when you're 100%. I have people tell me all the time, oh, you know, I'm taking three days off from the gym, my back hurts, or I took three days off, I had the flu. That's, that's not taking time off from the gym that's recovering from some kind of an issue, and it's a completely different type of recovery. In my opinion, you should not only take a couple of weeks a year where you take off when you're 100%, you should also take a period of time, and I'm kind of entering that time myself, or am in that time myself, I should say, where I gear down. And as I mentioned in my commentary on Instagram, rather than going four to five days a week, Sometimes I'll throw a sixth day in, especially if I'm outside and the weather's great, usually four to five. I'll cut back to two to four and and make sure I stick to a half hour, 35 minutes, not including my warm up. So if you have a good warm up slash prep period of, say, seven to 10 minutes, and then you're doing another 35 minutes, that's pretty good time. 
And it's good mentally. It's good physically. That's a great time. But I don't think enough people take time off from the gym when they're 100%. You really can derive a ton of benefit from taking that time off, both mentally and physically, and as well as having that period of time where you hold back, where you work at a lower intensity and lower volume for a, a, an extended period of time, especially if it's a period of time coming off a time when you're super active. I think it's really helpful. And I don't think enough people do that. Yeah, I'm guilty of that as a when I was a, an athlete and then even as a coach too. gotten better at it later in life, probably more so since we've met. And but you know what the hard part is, the mental part? Maybe you can address this with me, be my therapist here. Probably, nobody else is listening, right? Just 40,000 people. Um, I feel guilty when I take that time away where um, I know that's more of a me thing than anything else, but I mean, do you feel, do you do the same thing? Do you, how do you, how do you get through that? Well, it, it's, it's because we've had it ingrained in us, whether it's through the media, through these memes that we didn't know were, when we were kids, it wasn't called a meme, but these sayings that would you'd hear, I, I forget the exact wording of it, but the concept is someone's always practicing and yeah. you're not, you know what, to me, that's like, this is not going to be a popular take. I can't stand the coach that says, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. And if you're that kind of guy, uh, we could differ. But I, I think that's BS. It's the same person who you, you can't give 105%. You can't give 110%. That's nonsense. Anyone who says, oh, wow, he gave 110% on that play means that that's 10. He just is trying harder and that he should have been doing the whole time. So let's worry about 100%. Anyway, I think we've been so ingrained to think you have to do stuff all the time. I don't think there's anything that you can do every day that you do every day that's good, that makes it good work. Uh, especially, you know, the, the, gym, uh, the gym athlete, let's say people like us. One of the things, Dave, too, you could get away with even at your age. You're 10 years younger than I am. You can make little concessions to your age and uh, I'm sorry, to how you're feeling at your age. And then before you know it, in five more years, you'll, you'll be thinking about, gosh, you know, I'm not doing this as well as I used to, or this aches, this hurts a little more than it used to. That's that insidious water torture kind of effect that you'll have on your body by not taking time off now. So at your age, you're 50, I believe you yeah. really hold yourself back because even though you still, you you will still still feel pretty good. There's going to come a point in time where all these little aches and pains start to not go away as fast and they don't go away at all. And then you work yourself into a, a place where you have to get something done. So these are things that happen all through from when you're a teenager until you're our age. You bang through, you bang through, you bang through, you get through it. But at some point, you don't have the resiliency and then you start to have permanent issues as a result of not gearing it down. But you have to find something else. Even if you did, uh, you said like there, there are days where I'll do a 20 minute stretch where it's only mobility. I use bands. I'll do uh, on the mat. It's just kind of getting the blood flowing and it's a, a restful recovery. So if you're in that headspace where you need to do that, that can help take the place of you going out and beating yourself up, but you're also able to tell yourself you did something. Yeah. And in, in fact, uh, 
two things that have helped me. One is the thing you just pointed out, mobility. I've made that the core of my training is mobility training. And it's, it's not just stretching, it's stretching with strength. And, and, uh, I've loved it. I took it actually from a gymnastics, gymnastics coach, coach Somers, who used to be the national coach for gymnastics, runs a pretty cool program. It used to be called gymnastics bodies. And I think it turned a lot of people off because they thought they'd be doing like backflips and rings and, but it's not, it takes you back to the basics of what we used to be good at as kids. Like we talk about that we can no longer do like those little animal poses and whatnot, but I do that predominantly, but I also find doing that too much. I've had to take some time off from that because it started wearing me out physically in terms of hitting the same, you can overstretch or over mobilize, I guess. So I take some time off and do different things. I, I, I like to hit, I, I still switch bad, hit righty lefty. So I'll get swings in every day and not like I used to, but, uh, I shoot every day and those little things I like, pl- I like playing now, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. And the, the one sport that's helped me, and it's probably seems crazy that it is that when I started doing ultra marathoning, the distance itself makes you think like it's super extreme because the, the, they won't let me call them a race. What do they mean? Whatever. The experience is 100.3 miles. But that sport has helped me understand the concept of good enough, good enough, which as an athlete, a younger college athlete or pro athlete, oh, I would have. That was like a death statement to me. Like I had those, I actually had a sweatshirt and a hat jokingly when you were joking about that comment, like somebody, someone out there is practicing and when they get, when you meet them, they're going to beat you or something. I had a hat, I had a sweatshirt. I probably had a poster when I was a kid and I, I lived that. And, um, so yeah, I, I think I'm, I am 50, I guess I'm finally growing up a little bit in that regard, but I agree with you. I think it's, it's right, but I have a hard time still with the guilt. And, you know, we had the, the 10,000 hours or whatever it was. But, you know, crappy practice, which is going to happen if you're doing something all the time, every day, does not help you. It actually hurts you. And sometimes these great athletes do things that either could have been detrimental to them, but because they're so good, nothing would hold them back and doesn't mean it's suitable for everybody to do. You know, there's great athletes who smoke. There, I can't tell you, you know, I don't know if the, the today's fan realizes there were great pictures. I remember there was a great picture of Keith Hernandez smoking a cigarette in the dugout. There, you know, there was all these stories baseball players would smoke. So does that mean a great baseball player smoked so I could smoke? Of course not. So all these other habits that these athletes have do not automatically make them suitable for you or do not automatically mean that that is what made them better. It's like these coaches who do what I do who want to take credit for an athlete's success or worse probably is to say, well, I did this for so-and-so who could have a 44-inch vertical jump, so I'm going to get you a 44-inch vertical jump. That, that None of that's true. So it's all of this intertwined legend, propaganda, PR, marketing stuff that serves to hurt the individual in the end of the, at the end of the day. Yeah. And so with, with your advice on, on this, well, I mean, what's a, what's the message to our audience? How do they filter all this stuff? Cause it's out there nonstop. I mean, I could pull Facebook up right now and there's probably 12 Facebook stories on somebody videotaping themselves pretending to do a workout anyway, but it becomes perception that everybody around us is better and more shape doing more. How, how do you, how do you get them through that? You know what I've tried? I'm, I'm, 
obviously, except for what we talk about here, I've tried to stop converting people or to try to get people to listen to me who don't want to. My concept has always been there's enough people out there who are frustrated with what they're doing and hopefully what we're telling them sinks in. So the the concept when you're what you said, these these workouts you see all the time on social media, a lot of them are so low intensity as to not have any bearing. Like when you see these exercise programs, you know, all these plank variations. We talked about that, I think, in one of our first podcasts. That's not exercise. That is just kind of fitness busy work, I call it. So sure, there's all these videos, but what are you getting here? Here's here's the I'm going to end it here because I think we could go forever. We'll be talking in circles, but it's quality over quantity, which we don't see enough of in any field of endeavor with with regard to training and sports performance training. And again, uh, you have to be consistent, but the consistency doesn't mean beating yourself to a pulp. If you're consistent with your workout three or four days a week and have quality over quantity, those things will over time rule the day. And, you, and you'll come to that point where you you feel like you're in good shape. You feel like you're improving. However minor the improvements are, you'll feel better. You'll feel more capable, which at the end of the day is why anybody is doing all of this. No, that's a, that's a fair con- a point to have them grab onto quantity over quality because quality over quantity. Well, that's what that's what or I'm sorry. Yeah. Quality over quantity. What we're seeing in a lot of these things are, are quantity over quality. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think for them to they, they, they want to do quality over quantity. What we're seeing is quantity over quality. But what they don't realize and, and you know, I'm, you've tried to impress upon our audience is that habits don't have emotions. And when you build bad habits, they are going to be, they become ingrained in you. You don't become those bad habits with one day, but you do it often enough, you eventually become those. So I like the message quality over quantity to our and, audience. And kind of dovetailing on that, the other post I did this week was with uh, some of my high level lacrosse guys. I posted something the other yesterday and I'm going to have another one up today. We were out on the field in bare feet and grass, good old fashioned grass, doing some of the sprint drills that we typically do with teams that I do with teams and individuals and in sneakers on a track or in cleats on a field. And it's rare you get a really high quality grass field these days. And by circumstance, happenstance, the other night we wound up at a local field and uh, it was the only field that wasn't overrun. And these lacrosse guys that I train are very concerned with when they shoot the ball. It, if it, <clears throat> excuse me, if it misses the goal, it could hit someone and mess them up. Or if it ricochets off the pipe, when it usually does, it can pick up speed and really hit someone who's not expecting it. So we try to find fields that either have the proper backup area or that are deserted. And it's just, getting tougher and tougher to do that. But fortunately we found this great, great, well, we, we, the great grass field by me was open and we did a good 20 minutes of high intensity sprint drill. That is great for everything that you're going to need to do as a field sport athlete. And it was high level. It was high intensity. It was 20 minutes. They put their shoot socks and cleats on and then did some of their skill work. So there's a great example. If you go on and watch the film, watch the video that's on Instagram, you'll see 
a, a small snippet of a of a great example of quality over quantity. I like that, and I was excited to get your email a few days ago. It, it's um, it came on my it was it was off of your your writing. It said I'm back, and I was like, when did he go away? But I forget that everybody doesn't have the luxury of podcasting with you once a week and texting back and forth. So glad you're back doing that stuff. Glad you're back active, and uh, you know what, what um what's which, which direction we want to go here now? I know we, well, we I, talk. I'll talk a little bit real quickly about the barefoot yes. work uh, because what we get is, and I, I know there's a barefoot distance running movement and that's kind of beyond my purview, so to speak. I don't want to, I don't feel, I know there's been famous marathoners who ran barefoot and I believe they're the, the old school Kenyans must've run barefoot and other, uh, there were probably other ethnic groups that ran barefoot that's a completely different animal from what I'm trying to do here with my sprint work with my field sport athletes. And, and when I talk about sprint work, I am not trying to turn these guys and girls into track athletes. So track people might look at some of the things I do and take issue with it. Also, you know, I always put these videos up as in um, to give exposure to these ideas they're not always necessarily instructional. In other words, not everything in the video is exactly correct because it's just not not always going to be that way. You know, it's I always compare it to the golf swing. Anyone who's played golf and anyone is aware of what golfers do, golfers still go to swing coaches. The best golfers in the world go to swing coaches who are always trying to get them to hone their skill. You could probably look at a, a – a, um, a golf lesson by a high-level golfer and be surprised by how many bad swings they might come up with during the course of a a lesson. So that's not to say that that's an instructional video, but it's showing someone how they're working on things. Same thing with my videos. Um, I'm kind of careful to make sure I don't tell people to do exactly what they're doing, but I point out the, the, the teaching points that you're supposed to get out of something like this. So the important thing about in my opinion, barefoot sprint drills on grass is it strengthens the foot. We have athletes that have poor range of motion in their ankle. They have literally weak feet and running in a barefoot on a surface like that is safe and it's helping to develop the strength in the foot and the ankle and the lower leg. In my opinion, and well, not in my opinion, but I've read research studies that have shown we have a lot of lower leg foot ankle injuries because People don't work out on grass anymore. They're on these turf fields, which are perfect in both pitch and in the surface tension or surface, um, uh, I guess, tension. And it's uniform throughout. So the, the foot never has to work through any perturbations. There's a good word for you. And it's always on this flat and level surface where grass, not perfectly symmetrical. So you have a grass field, there's going to be some unevenness to it. So you're asking the foot to do what it's meant to do, and it's reestablishing its strength and its positioning. So it helps with foot strike. It helps with stride length. It helps with cadence because there are certain things you just can't do barefoot that you could do with shoes. And some of those things are bad habits. We've talked about hitting with your foot flat. So your heel hits at the same time as your forefoot. When you're in bare feet on grass, it's very hard for you to jam your foot into the ground flat because it's jarring. Whereas it almost forces you to be on your forefoot, which is how you should naturally be. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that. So you, you promote that with your training when you're doing, when you have, because you do, you do, you're not, I know you do linear, linear sprinting, but you have, you have guys and, and girls moving in multiple directions and you're doing more than just, you're always doing more than just one thing. So um, yeah, the, the clip I'm going to actually put up after we speak today here, Dave, and do the show will be something of a more of a more nonlinear. I call it the veer and steer drill, which forces the athlete to negotiate a course of cones running somewhat straight ahead, but without changing your stride to cut off the outside foot, which is what most people want to do. They want to break down, kind of decelerate so they can plant off of their outside foot. What I want to do is have athletes be able to negotiate this field, this course, so to speak, without slowing down and being able to cut off of either their inside foot or their outside foot without slowing down. In lacrosse, that's very important. In football, that's very important. I would imagine soccer, it's very important. Most most sports, it's important. The traditional power cut is where there's some deceleration and the athlete is able to then plant off of their outside foot to change direction. The speed cut is you're not planting off your outside foot. You're using your inside foot and you have to do this, what I call veer and steer move to be able to do that. I think athletes should be able to cut off of either foot in any situation without being able to slow down. And many of the drills that I employ are designed to get that result. I like that. I, you know, it's, it's rare in basketball. You, you mentioned it and it, you know, said it's very important in lacrosse because when you, when you're looking at point guards, you look at a guy, Jason Kidd was a guy that could go North and South and East and West just as well, where he could be on one plane and get to another. You don't see that a lot. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's the way basketball players are trained. I don't know if it's the nature of the game where they're always saying downhill, downhill. Um, but I'm, I'm anxious to see that video of Veer and Steer. You've mentioned it to me in private before, probably on the I show. Think, Dave, I've mentioned when you watch a basketball player shuffle, it's so heavy footed and it results in that lead foot taking so much weight on and almost necessitating that anytime you're going to change direction, you're going to depend on planting that outside foot. And really, you're coming to a complete stop when you do that. It's just it's imperceptible to the naked eye. But from physics, you have to actually stop when you do that in order to change direction. Whereas if you could negotiate a, a course of cones and you'll see you, you can kind of see it in this video, you're, you're not really worried about which foot you cut off of. That you're just running at full speed and you're, if your body, see, here's the other thing, Dave, after going through my other drills, which are designed to have the body operate from a top down kind of control situation, you're in good posture, your head's upright, your shoulders are dictating the pace of your, your hip cycle. Then you throw them into this nonlinear kind of veer and swear, I'm sorry, veer and steer situation all those things have to work. And you could see how for some people who have not really mastered the proper technique, how their, their form will break down when they do this. They either have to slow down or they shuffle to plant off of their outside foot or their arms start to flail, which is an indication that they're not in control and they're using their arms to keep the balance instead of to actually push themselves forward. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I um, as you're talking about running on grass, I, I like to employ that as well. And I find myself too, you mentioned that not landing 
or it being good for your foot strike. And I'm very conscious of that when I'm running on the grass. And I don't know why that I'm, I'm landing on my, my heel is, is way off the ground when I land. Don't know why. I don't know what the, 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 uh, I guess it's, 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 so not digging in. it's not digging. You're not digging into artificial turf, which gives you even in a sneaker, I think on some of these turf fields, you're getting some kind of a grip. If you're on a pavement, you're getting a grip on grass. You have that there. It's a slicker surface, even if it's not moisture related, but the grass itself, if it's healthy grass, it's not that sticky uh, surface where you're going to get some friction and feel like you have a grip. So it intuitively forces the body to find that proper stride length. Remember, I'm not, I never cue length of stride. I cue speed of stride. So if, if all is correct with your shoulder crank, your cadence, your stride will find the right, right groove. I like that. And you'll use that across sports. Is oh, there any sports you won't use it? I, I, I had a buddy of mine on Instagram has a really big following. He's a basketball guy. Uh, his name is Bobby White. And Bobby White, it's W H Y T E. And I believe it's High Performance is his company. He's a very successful youth college, uh, youth, high, youth high school and basketball trainer. And um, he, is uh, is of the of similar mind and he always is putting stuff up and I commented and we had a good discussion about basketball players would be better served by learning how to sprint than the time they spent in the weight room. Let's get some basketball players off the court out of basketball shoes on grass barefoot on cleats on some a real field and let's let them open it up and run and learn how to run and everything else they do will get better. Yeah, well, it goes back to what you've said in the beginning. That's the basis of everything, right? Learning how to sprint properly. Yep. I love it. Um, we'll have to maybe get get uh, Coach White on the, on the show one time. Absolutely. Get get you guys in a in a dialogue here. What? So now that you're back writing, and I know we're gonna. I'm looking forward to seeing Beer and Steer. What are some other things that you're locked in on right now, or that we can hope to? hope to see, or you want to tease? Well, what I wanted to do was every week we're going to talk about one of these drugs that are being pushed on the population. And just to point out what the risks are and, and what the options are for people. And we talked about last week, the drug for psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis, and there were some pretty decent severe side effects. But on the other side of that, that's a pretty miserable condition you could have. I've known at least two people with psoriatic arthritis, and I could see the person be be willing to have that trade-off with some of the risks that the drug presented versus the benefits of maybe being pain-free and not having the psoriasis and some of the other miserable side effects or effects of that condition. I want to really harp on these anti-obesity type two, di- uh, type two diabetes drugs because they're not, they're not necessary. And I also want to get into a little bit of a discussion about some not for human consumption drugs that are, have been in circulation for quite a while, which clearly have benefit profiles that, or I should say have 
profiles that would benefit people no worse than some of these approved drugs. And uh, the drug I want to talk about today is Manjaro. And it's kind of, a, to me, almost a perverse play on words as an Italian, uh, of someone of Italian descent, even though I don't speak Italian, you're familiar, most people are familiar with some of the very common Italian words. Manja is to eat. And it seems to me to use this word, Manjaro, M-O-U-N-J-R-O, and call this type 2 diabetes drug Manjaro seems to be a little cynical or a little something. I'm not sure how to quite term it, but I want to talk about this drug here. So while they tell you everyone can have a different experience, the most common side effects experienced by people who take Manjaro are nausea, diarrhea, uh, decreased appetite, vomiting, constipation, indigestion, indigestion, and stomach pain. Now, again, those are the most common side effects. To me, Dave, we're talking about a drug here that is designed to help people with the condition that the people themselves are in the position to eliminate by changing their habits. So you have this millions of people now clamoring for this drug that will more than likely have them feeling kind of miserable on a day-to-day basis in those ways we heard. I don't know about you, Dave, but when my stomach is bad and I have most of those symptoms, when you get the stomach flu, give me, you know, give me the fever, give me a bad head cold, give me almost anything other than a stomach bug, and I'd be more than happy to take it over the stomach bug. So these are symptoms that can be easily avoided if you just controlled your appetite a little bit, or controlled your diet. I'm sorry. You don't need a drug to control your appetite. If you eat right, you don't need to worry about a drug controlling your appetite. But it gets worse, though, because this drug, Manjaro, may also cause tumors in the thyroid, including thyroid cancer. You're not supposed to take this drug if anyone in your family or yourself, obviously, has ever had any type of thyroid cancer. Uh, it, it it can result in some other pretty nasty uh, n- nasty conditions. It could result in inflammation of the pancreas, right? That's another internal organ kind of disruption. Again, you're needlessly risking these things because you don't aren't being told by your doctor properly how to eat and and getting the proper nutritional advice. You could also get kidney failure from this drug. Obviously, we talked about the the stomach issues, but this is in the area where they have more severe side effects. So it's severe stomach problems, serious allergic reactions, changes in vision, gallbladder problems. So we're at a, a point now, Dave, where people would rather submit to this substance rather than honestly assess their position and and try to take even if the doctor doesn't help them let's get past the point that the doctor has to be the babysitter let's get to the point now where people are saying gosh i'm looking at this litany of side effects and actually potential worse side effects why don't i just try to get my ass off the couch eat a little better throw away the doritos and the cheetos and the packaged foods and the pre-made foods and try to eat a little healthier. 
Yeah, n- none of those side effects. I mean, every time you name the side effect, it's like it's going, it keeps going. Um, just the possibility of one of those is should be alarming for people to say, like, there's got to be a better way than me taking this drug to potentially get one of these 40 side effects, probably multiple. And then now you're taking another drug to get rid of those instead of, like you said, just kind of level set and start behaving the right way. Have you seen the price tag on these, the monthly price tag for these? Uh, I've I've seen it with uh, thousands of dollars, correct? It's a it's a thousand dollars out of pocket for the basic one, and as you go up, it gets up to twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a month out of pocket for these. And I know someone on it, and they have quite regular distress from it, and they they try to downplay it. But again, Dave, these are the same people, and I love my clients, and they're listening, but the same people who've had the vaccines and have had COVID multiple times and have had a series of other never ending respiratory sinus issues, almost like a constant allergy, constant cold. So there's a uh, mindset people have now that we're willfully ignoring the obvious things that are being, or that are the result of taking these drugs. And it just scares me. Well, it's a, it's a, you're right. It's a theme there. It's their fear. They're locked in with social media. In fact, I even, I, as you're talking about it, I remember a coupon being put out there on social media for some sort of discount on this particular drug. And it was going crazy on the internet. I've, I didn't obviously clip it or I don't even know how to use it on the internet, but it, there was an intentional blast of of this so that way people would get on this product and i know the pharmaceuticals are making a ton of money on this and all i keep worrying about is you know we as as you and i talk in this show we were constantly as you said that we start out with talking about take rest before you're you need it and we're more into regeneration and i fear that a lot all this stuff we keep seeing whether it's a vaccine or these new drugs that come out, I think we're looking at an extermination um, more than anything. And hope our audience realize we're, we're about regeneration. We want everybody to get healthy, stay healthy, treat your body right way, treat your mind, eat the right way. And the stuff that we bring up counter, I mean, it's, I don't I hate to typecast it, but it's all about extermination. I mean, it's there, these things are really taking our, our people out. Well, and you know, it's amazing, and you heard this recently about how much money the pharmaceutical companies pump into the economy. I have uh, Paramount Plus. I purchased it. This is a little aside. I'm a huge Odd Couple fan, the original TV show with Jack Klugman and Tony Randall. Yeah, I grew up with it, and it's hard to find them, and it's hard to find them uncut. Paramount Plus has the majority of them on their service. And it's interesting. This is another aside of an aside. There are some episodes that are missing. And I actually did some research and found that the reason they can't televise some of these episodes is if anyone's familiar with the show, they used a lot of music in that show. They performed a lot of music in the show and to get the rights to be able to reproduce those shows because of the music that rights were owed to other people. They just don't do that. So if you go and go on Paramount Plus, there's some shows that are missing. And those are the ones that are kind of like the real music centric ones. But there are commercials still on Paramount Plus. You'll get anywhere from, I think, 20 seconds to 
90 seconds of commercials, depending. Every commercial break has a drug as one of the commercials. And if it's a longer one, if it's a longer commercial break, you get the longer commercial. You can't watch a sporting event without this. And I'm a big believer in there's other drugs out there that are beneficial to us. And they're in the category of what have been called performance enhancing drugs. Uh, and everything from testosterone for males to growth hormone to these new generation of peptides that have been circulating that are not legal for human consumption, but have been studied and have been shown to be effective and, and safe and are not being used for anything other than some very like human growth hormone, for the example, is not allowed for any off-label use except for muscle wasting conditions, people who are really at the at the end of the rope with AIDS and or cancer and people who have natural growth hormone deficiencies. That makes it a very rare drug because I believe it's over 60% of approved drugs can be used for off-label purposes. I believe that growth hormone therapy is not a made of it it's not been made available legally through your medical practitioner because it resolves at a very low cost, it resolves these conditions for which they've came up, come up with thousands of different drugs. Really? I never even heard. I, that's interesting. Growth, um, if you, if you're on, if you're on, if you're, if you're a type two diabetic and you go on a managed dose, well, testosterone is going to fix that for most men. Women don't have that option. That's why. Is HGH one of those? Well, HGHs will do the same thing. It's just now HGH has become is the better option, obviously, because see, here's here's the problem with testosterone. And the reason they're called anabolic, they're muscle building, but they are androgens, which are male based. So for a woman to take testosterone, they're going to become masculinized. And that's where you get the facial hair, you get body hair, you get the, the Adam's apple developed, you get the deep voice. Growth hormone is the same for male and female. Growth hormone is growth hormone. So there's no sexual characteristics that can be developed or enhanced from taking it. So that's become a boon to women. Now, women have their hormone replacement therapy, which has been shown to improve estrogen therapy can improve conditions that could be responsible for type 2 diabetes, but certainly growth hormone would under a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, managed by your physician program. Those, so the, 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 the thing that's funny to me, Dave, is you'll hear the criticism of growth hormone. Oh, it can cause all kinds of other problems. It can bring about cancers. Well, to tell you the truth, they're prescribing growth hormone for people who are the most fragile people in the world of, quote, being ill or sick, and people are not dying from growth hormone. They're giving it to kids who have short stature, who have uh, a growth hormone deficiency or some kind of pituitary dysfunction, and they're giving it to people who are in the stages of wasting diseases to strengthen them. If, if this was such a disastrous, dangerous drug, you, and you gave it to someone who was already diminished and depleted, you would think for sure it would put them over the edge. It would do them in, but it doesn't because it helps them. And 
this new generation of drug called there's these peptides which do a variety of things which have been experimented with and the, not with humans yet but have had a very positive response P- people are using them all over the place they're being used for weight loss uh, i believe it was on i don't know which housewife housewife shows one of my clients came in and mentioned it that they were talking about on one of these shows the woman was going and getting peptide therapy and to me it makes total sense because it's certainly better than taking these type 2 diabetes drugs and it's better than going to the plastic surgeon to get liposuction or some other procedure. You know, with, and if you don't want to talk about this, just, just say, so I don't want to be offensive to those that are going through it. I've never gone through it, knock on wood, but I've always questioned radiation chemotherapy stuff for cancers. It just seems like I just shake my head. Are you What? Um, any, any thought? I mean, you don't, you don't have to address that at all if you don't want to. But. It's, it's, it's beyond my kind yeah. of pay grade. But what I do understand, what I've been told from people who I know who've gone through it, the, the bet is, and they've gotten better with it, you know, over the last 40, 50 years, they were bombarding you with who knows what back when they first started. And the, as I had it explained to me, there was a certain amount of they're betting that they'll kill the cancer before they kill you. That that kind of is how it was explained to me. Again, the mechanisms of those drugs are way well beyond me. But there are some. I, I, it's interesting. Uh, right across the street from where my facility is, there is a another facility, and what they do is they make these these uh, radioactive drugs, these new, I guess it's called nuclear medicine. So when you hear about people who will get the seed uh, for prostate cancer, where they insert that so that it helps the prostate cancer, it is effective. I think for years we were, we were kind of tinkering with things. We weren't sure how we could control. And I think the, the goal has been, while we're trying to get a cure for it is to try to get a treatment for it. That's not so damaging to the, to the patient. Yeah. It's just, uh, I shake my head sometimes again, it's above my medical knowledge as well, but I try to use common sense sometimes. And I just, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound positive. Well, if you go look at, there are massive side effects when you have the radiation treatment for any kind of prostate, colon cancer, anything in your lower abdomen, there's all kinds of nasty side effects. But again, it, it's that, that becomes, I, I don't know if it's ethics, it's personal choice. Are you going to die from the cancer or do you want to run the risk of having some pretty nasty side effects, but you're alive? I think vast majority of people pick, they'd rather be alive, obviously. So yeah, that's I, yeah, I just kind of like this other stuff. I, I haven't dived into it, but I, I get that same theme of when we talk about the vax, we talk about some of these these pharmaceuticals, that, that fear factor they put in your head. Like if you don't do this, you're, you know, this, this, this is going to happen. And that's, I guess that's the theme of our show. Our audience, you need to educate yourselves on this stuff and don't take everybody's word for it. Certainly don't even take our word for it. Just, you know, go do your own research, make your own informed opinions on this stuff. So I, the the growth hormone, I've seen that too with kids that are, you know, uh, undersized and are, have a, have an issue with their, their, uh, their, the chemistry of their body. But, um, why does it get such a bad rap? I guess, cause it's been over and it's been abused in athletics. Is that what, we, what, what 
why why growth hormone got a bad rap? Yeah, the family of them, you know, like HGH. Well, again, I think it's uh, it's so effective, and it could be so such a game changer. I think it it would make obsolete most of these other niche niche drugs. I think again, anything for diabetes, type two diabetes, and obesity that would probably vastly cut into the need for those drugs and and uh, you're 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 increasing muscle mass you're increasing bone density you're increasing the strength of connective tissue you're improving your overall metabolic profile because of those things and your ability to be more capable so certain even over-the-counter anti-inflammatories would be unnecessary if you ever I, i mean in my in my day to day over 35 plus years of working in the field and 45 plus years of being in gyms, I've known a fair amount of people who have been on both old school testosterone, old school HGH, which was derived from the pituitary glands of cadavers. And then what's now done is it's synthetic HGH. So there's none of the dangers that were involved with that original batch of HGH. Anybody who's the least bit honest with you and has told me, you feel nothing when you're on those. You never get sore. You never have an ache. Your back doesn't hurt after a heavy lifting day. You don't get sore from your your competition, whether it's football, wrestling, whatever sport you're in. It is a cure-all. It's now. The problem with all of these is people didn't know what they were taking or they thought taking more was better. And in the bodybuilding space, they were putting stacks of these things together and they were taking all these different kinds of drugs instead of just the basic bump from your testosterone for a male or, you know, the the medicinally approved clinical dose for HGH. I think it's just as simple as it, it really is or really can be a panacea, but at the same time would do away with the need for a whole bunch of drugs and over the counters that are already out there. No, that's, that's, that's the way of the world, right? Economics. And if they control it in the media and the social media, they just pump it into our, our society's heads if they're not smart enough to filter it or research. So glad you made those points. Well, I, I kept you 45. You have more clients today. I know your day's been filled with clients. Everybody's yeah, I do. I actually have three more to go. Oh, so, uh, it's a good break in the day, though. I think I think we I think we did a chock full of info. 46, almost 47 minutes here. So yeah, what uh, what do you want to what do you want to leave the audience with? How can they find you? And now that you're you're back in social media again. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just what I'm going to use Substack for for the little bit until I get my feet under me with. Uh, with getting some more writing done, but my, uh, my sub stack is just coach is it's just at coach Sal M on Substack. uh, on Twitter. I'm Sal Marinello all run together and coach Sal's playmakers is my Instagram feed. Okay. And any, uh, any teases for next week or are we going to have to wait and see? Well, what I'd like to have is since we're at the end of the summer and maybe people have been getting a lot of good work in, try taking, and some people have ended the summer vacation coming up, try taking a vacation from your workout or try to just go low level, go for walks. If you're at the beach, if there's a boardwalk instead of, you know, get to the gym, 
put that in your in your thought process. For some people, it's a lot to get used to, a lot to wrap your head around. But think about taking some time off. And also, if you have a nice grass field, go out and do some sprints on it. Get your feet to get in contact with the earth. It's good for you. Yeah, I always do that. My wife calls it grounding. We yep. do it on the beach and on the on the grass. And you made me think of one of my favorite movies, What About Bob? When you said take a vacation from your workout. He, he, he had that shirt, take a vacation from your problems. That was his... Uh, his mantra, if you haven't seen that Bill Murray movie, it'll oh, yeah, that's great one. get you. Well, uh, to our audience, 40,000 plus, 73 countries, thanks for your continued support. Uh, we've got things up and running now. We should be full blast next week. Keep supporting our network as a whole, Real Voices of the Game, and obviously keep supporting The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. It's episode 248 right now, and get Sal on Substack. He's very interactive on social media, and uh, he's worth the price of admission. So, Sal, thanks so much for a great show. Thanks, Dave. Talk to you next week.